Now when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light, light is sprung up. And turn with me to John 10, verse 10. And it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, Jesus says, I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, O oh God. And Father, we pray, Lord, that your word would illuminate our hearts this morning, O oh God. We pray. Father, that you would speak, Lord, into every heart and into every life this morning, O oh God. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to the moving of your Spirit, O oh God. Lord, give us light this morning. Give us light and life this morning. Lord, delight in our way and the lead us on our way, O oh God. Father, give us light, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Matthew 4 and 12... We see the start of Jesus' ministry. He's just come out of the wilderness where he had been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights and, and being tempted of the devil. And when he heard that John, his cousin, was cast into prison, he departed, it says he departed, and came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim. And of course the scripture says that this was the fulfillment of a prophecy given by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 and 2 where it says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her, afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people... The people that walked in darkness have saw a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. Isaiah speaks this 700 years before of a coming deliverer who would one day lead God's people to joy, to peace, and to righteousness and judgment. He would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who for the most part would minister in Galilee. He would bring the light of salvation and hope. He would enlarge the community of God's people, primarily by the inclusion of the Gentiles. Primarily by the inclusion of the Gentiles into the household of faith. Gentiles being brought into the household of faith, being brought into the commonwealth of God. And brothers and sisters, thank God that he did. 
Thank God that he did. Thank God that he included the Gentiles into the household of faith, into the commonwealth of God. Because, friends, that's you and I this morning. That's you and I. Those of us that have repented of our sins and asked the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our lives, we were once Gentiles outside of the commonwealth of God, walking in darkness without hope and without a saviour. Christ came for us. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. Christ came into this world for you and for me over 2,000. Gentiles were Gentiles for you and for me over 2,000 years ago. Do you know what that word Gentile means? It means a heathen. It means an idolater. It means a non-believer. It means an atheist, a skeptic a heretic, an infidel. And friends, such were some of we. I think Brent prayed it this morning. Such were some of we. Gentiles walking afar off from God. Friend, do you remember what your life was like? I spoke a wee bit about it this morning, my own personal testimony. Do you remember what your life was like? Do you remember the darkness? Do you remember the grip sin had upon you? Do you remember? You know, the song says, I was once in darkness. Now my eyes can see. I was lost, but Jesus sought and found me. Oh, what love he offers. Oh, what joy he gives. I will sing forevermore. He lives. He lives. Those of us that have been washed in his precious blood. Friends, we no longer sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, but light has sprung up. And life, Christ's life, fills our hearts. Gentiles brought in, brought in to the fold of God. It says the people that sat in darkness, the people that sat in the shadow of death, those inhabitants of Galilee, Zebulon, and Naphtalim, they sat or walked about in spiritual darkness. They were dead to the things of God. No spirit to unction and no spirit to quicken them. Think about that this morning. Dead. Dead to the things of God. You know, for 400 years from Malachi to Matthew, it's called the inter, I had to write this down, the intertestamental period, or what it later became known as the silent years from Malachi to Matthew, 400 years of silence. Because it was a, set, a span of time where no new prophets were raised and God revealed nothing new to the Jewish people. God's voice and the moving of the Spirit went silent during those 400 years. You know, it's thought that many of the, of the, of, of the books of the Catholic Bible were written then, and also those of, of Eastern Orthodoxy. But you know, friends, that was only man trying to fill in the blanks where God, the Holy Spirit, had went silent. But during those 400 years, the church was still going on the same. The priests were still making the sacrifices on the altar, and the people continued to pray daily. Church was just running on as normal, as if nothing had changed. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
It looks familiar, doesn't it? But friends, it was just religion. It was just religion. Outward religion. But God's voice had went silent. God's voice had went silent. The Holy Spirit, the, the dove of the Holy Spirit had fled. It had fled. You know, Brother Clendenin used to say, take the Holy Spirit out of the church and the church will still go on as normal. Friends, how true that is. How true that is. But for 400 years, the people were in darkness just going through the mechanics of religion. And you know, for the most part, that's what's been happening in the church, broadly speaking, today. 2 Timothy 3 and 5 says, There's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There's a great show of religion. There's great pretense of piety and holiness, being outwardly righteous before men, but inwardly it's dead religion. There's great speeches and great doctrine taught and spoke about, inspiring to listen to and great to read. But the reality is, friend, there's nothing of the power of God in their hearts and nothing of the power of God that would draw men to Christ. And basically, that's what we're seeing and hearing in our world today, especially in the church. You know, Adam Clark, the great religious commentator, he said this, They have religion in their creed, but none in their hearts. And friends, you know, for me, this scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is probably one of the most fearful scriptures in all of the Bible. To have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Yes, we have to live godly, absolutely. And to lead godly lives before men, absolutely. But friends, more than ever before, we need the power of God. We need the power of God working in us and through us. That world out there, friends, that world out there, they're not looking to hear another sermon and to see how well we know and, and, and can teach our doctrines and, 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 and know the ins and outs of, of all our doctrines and scripts. No, friends, but they're looking to see a demonstration of God's power in and through our lives. Friends, surely the cry of every believer should be in this house this morning is, Lord, send the power right now and baptize everyone. Baptize everyone. And you know, friends, that power is a dunamis power. It's a dynamic power. It's a power that dwells within every believer and energizes his or her life. It's the very energy of the life of God himself. It's a supernatural energy that emanates from God's being. Brothers and sisters, God wants us. He wants you and he wants me to be energized by his life so that we can reach a world that is dead, that is dead and in darkness. Friends, respectfully this morning, it ain't going to happen if we're dead ourselves. It ain't going to happen if we're dead ourselves. Dead to reading his word. Dead to praying. Dead in our worship and in our praise. It's all then just a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And those that are walking about us and around us, 
Those that are walking in darkness and sitting in the shadow of death, friends, they'll just keep on walking and they'll just keep on sitting in the shadow of death because we who are meant to have the light and life and power of Christ within us are dead ourselves. I'm not saying that about all of Christendom because there are places and I believe this is one of them. Because there are places and there are churches and there are people individually who are filled with the light and life and power of Christ and they're making an impact on their own Jerusalem. Friends, the people which sat in darkness saw a great light and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light, light has sprung up. You know, this was not a physical darkness as if someone... So as if something had came between the sun and the earth and, 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 and just blocked it all out. No, but friends, it's a spiritual darkness. It was a spiritual darkness. 400 years of darkness and spiritual death. They were in ignorance to the things of God. They didn't know God and they didn't want to know God. They didn't want to know God. They were dead in trespasses and sins. And friends, where there's no spiritual light, then there's no spiritual life. You know, Job says in in John 10 and 22, a land of darkness is darkness itself, and of the shadow of death without any order, and where the light is is darkness. Matthew Henry said this, those that are without Christ are in the dark. Nay, they are darkness itself. They are darkness itself. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, was a land of darkness and death. But you know something, friends? That could so easily be the land of Ulster and Northern Ireland and Ireland and Great Britain and Europe, beyond Europe and across the world. For it is a land which sits in darkness and in the shadow of death. Friend, would you not agree with me this morning that our land sits in darkness and in the shadow of death? Dead to God. Dead to the things of God. A spiritual blindness and death seems to have overtaken most of the people. But you know what the most amazing thing about it is? For the most, peop- for the most part, People seem to be happy. They seem to be happy living in their darkness and living in their death. And yes, I know for many people they're unhappy about the way things are at the minute. The price of petrol, price of diesel, the price of electric, the price of oil, the price of gas, the price of food. Yes, friends, we have all the right to be unhappy. I'm unhappy about it. It's ridiculous the way things are going. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. It ain't going to get any better. Hear me this morning. It ain't going to get any better. I mean, I'm getting it in the neck when I'm delivering the oil. But I'm only paid from my neck down. I'm only paid from my... I don't have any control over the oil market. But friends, I'm not talking about those tangible things. I'm not talking about those material things. I'm talking about those spiritual things. 
I'm talking about Christ. I'm talking about a saviour. I'm talking about heaven. I'm talking about hell. I'm talking about the love of God. I'm talking about his church. I'm talking about his hate for sin. I'm talking about light. I'm talking about darkness. I'm talking about life and I'm talking about death. But many don't want to hear those things today. But it seems for the most part, people seem content, sitting in their darkness and sitting in their death. It's sad. And I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. When I think of where he brought me out of, out of that pit that I was in, out of the darkness and out of the death that I was in 33 years ago. And he's brought me into his marvel. A new life. How right it says, Christ said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born again, there's really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said. Born again all because of Calvary, friends. I'm so glad that I've been born again. And you know what that means? I have a new way of thinking. I have a new way of speaking. I have a new way of looking. I have a new mind, new heart, new thoughts. Being born again. Christ's light came into my heart and my life. And he illuminated his life to me. I tell you, that's a miracle. <laughs> that is a miracle for me. A miracle that he illuminated his love and his life to me. Friends, it's sad that many are walking about in darkness. Many are walking about in death and death. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But you know, Matthew 4 and 16 says this, and here's the great hope. Here's the great hope. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region of shadow of death, light has sprung up. Light has sprung up. I go back to Isaiah 9 and 2 again. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. John 3 and 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You know, friends, the fundamental characteristic of the wicked is that they love darkness. They love darkness because why? Because their deeds are evil. They find their pleasure in sin and immorality. And friends, we sure have a lot of that going on in our world today. Going on in Balnehens today. Men and women, men and women loving darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Friends, how many crimes are committed at night? Think about it. How many crimes are committed at night? I guarantee if you look at the statistics, most crimes that are committed are committed in the nighttime. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But you know, here's the, here's the, here's the kicker in it all. Here's the great hope of it all. That light has come into the world. Friends, light has come into the world. That is Jesus, the son of righteousness, the fountain of light and life, the bright and the morning star, the light that is set on the hill, the light that lightens our path, the light that shineth in the darkness, the light that lightens the whole world. When he came into those lands, then the darkness had to go. 
death had to flee. Friends, when darkness is invaded by light, by even a tiny slither of light, then it's no more darkness, for light swallows up the darkness. When Christ, the light of the world, entered those lands of, 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 of Zebulun and Naphtalim, then the darkness had to flee. You know, F.B. Murr, commentating in this verse, he said, his ministry resembled the gentle holy dawn that breaks over the mountains and dispels, dispels the black shadow of the night. You know, friends, when Christ and his gospel came among them, it was as great a reviving as if our light was to a group of weary, worn travelers who were caught up in a dark storm. The light and the life of Christ so shone over those, regi- those regions that the lives of men, women, and children were, were once were changed forever, where once there was death and darkness, now there's light and now there's life. Do you get it this morning? Do you get it? When Christ came, then lives were never going to be the same again. Many were dead in their sins. Many were dead in trespasses. Many were dead living in their sins. No spiritual light. No spiritual life. A bit like many in the region of Balna Hintz today. A bit like many in Belfast, in Lisburn, in Saintfield, in Newcastle, in Kilkeel, in Rathfield, and other areas. But when Christ, the Son of Righteousness, came or arose among them, he cured them of their darkness and deadness and turned them from darkness to light and caused them to pass from death unto life. He turned their mourning into joy. He brought them out of dead religion and into the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 61 and 3 says, Her eyes shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord, friends, the Lord, the Lord shall rise upon thee and his glory shall be seen in thee and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. The Gentiles shall come to thy light. Friends, what a change came to those lands when the fullness of Christ is revealed to them. Darkness turns to life and death, the dead comes to life. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, can he do it again? Can Christ do it again? What he done over 2,000 years ago in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtalim, can he do it today in the land of Ulster? In the region of Balna Hintz and the surrounding towns and villages, can he do it again? Friends, I believe he can and I believe he wants to. I believe he can and I believe he wants to. But friends, he's not going to do it by coming back to this earth again by walking down Main Street in Balna Hintz in a blaze of awesome glory. And thousands being attracted to him. Friends, that's not the way it works. But he's going to do it by those, by those who are called by his name and humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked way. He's going to do it by those whose light is set on a hill and not hid under a bushel. Friends, he's going to do it in and through those whose joy is in the Lord. Friend, can I ask you this morning, have you humbled yourself and prayed and sought his face and turned from your wicked ways? I'm speaking not to the believer this morning. I'm not speaking not to the unsaved in here, but I'm speaking not to the believer this morning. Four basic fundamentals, four basic fundamental truths 
that meet the conditions for revival. Humbling, praying, seeking, and turning. And friends, I believe if we meet those conditions, then I believe revival can happen. And the glorious light of the gospel of Christ will shine across these lands. Humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. It's recognizing our failures and having sorrow for our sin and renewing our commitment to God. Friends, are we praying? Are we praying? You know, that should come automatically to us. As God's people, we must cry out to him for mercy and depend upon him and trust him for interventions and answers to our prayers. Friends, are we seeking his face? Are we seeking his face? Friends, there must be a diligence. There must be a persistence. There must be a perseverance in seeking his face. And friends, it says we're to turn away from all sin. We are to turn from sin. Friends, there must be genuine repentance by God's people by turning away from all sin, not just some sin, but all. And friends, when we do that, and when we draw near to God, and we ask him for mercy, we ask him for forgiveness, we ask him for cleansing, and then I believe God will draw near to his people, and the light and life of Christ will shine brighter in and through us. Church, can I ask you this morning, is your light set on a hill? Is your light set on a hill? Or is it hid under a bushel? Can your light be seen? Can the light of Christ be seen in your life? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know what the Lord said to Paul in Acts 13 and 47? I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And Ephesians 5 and 8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk, walk as children of the light. Friends, I ask, I know I'm asking a lot of questions here, but I ask you this, and I ask myself the same questions. Are we walking as children of the light? Simple stuff. There's nothing complicated here. Simple stuff. Are we walking as children of the light? Is our spiritual light illuminating? Illuminating to those around us? You know, the light that was given us, that spiritual light, it was not merely given us for our own private use, no friends, but it was for the public good of those around us. The public good of those around us. You know, we live in a world that is in darkness. Christ saved us to, to, to shine our lights in this darkness. And he brought that light to the lands of Zebulun and Naphtalim. So we must bring our lights or his light to this land, whether that be in Balnehens, whether that be in Belfast, whether that be in Lisbon or, or, or Bangor or Kilkeel or, Raf, or Raf, wherever, in our workplace, in, the, in our schoolhouse when we go to the shops, when we are amongst our families, when we are amongst our friends. Doesn't matter, friends, where we are. But do we shine our lights? 
Do we shine that spiritual light before all men? You know, I had a hospital appointment a couple of Fridays ago. I had to go for physio in my hands or something. And they asked me a whole rake of questions. And one of the questions was, have you ever had cancer before? Well, friends, what an opportunity. What an opportunity for me to shine this light of Christ. I said, yes, let me tell you about it. <laughs> and the wee girl was called Carmel. She's only a wee girl, I don't know what age she was. And she had a mask on. I said, yes, I have, let me tell you about it. And I told her everything that happened to me. The disease bile, the tumour, everything. What the hospital said wasn't looking good. Had been there for 12 years. They saw the tumour on the screen. The doctor felt the tumour. They measured the tumour, six centimetres big, everything. I told her everything and I said, but then the people of God prayed. You people of God prayed. Told her I was a believer. Told her I was a Christian. I says, but then the people of God prayed. The people in my church prayed. And all over the world prayed. And she just sat there wide-eyed. Her eyes were like two big saucers. With a mask on. <laughs> but she looked at me and then she says, Wow. That's amazing. They opened me up. They found nothing. No tumour. No disease bowel, absolutely nothing. And she just sat there and looked at me, big white eyes. And she said, wow, that's amazing. Pray for Carmel. Pray that the light of this gospel will shine into her darkened heart. And she'll realize her need of a savior. She'll realize that there's a heaven again and a hell to shun. Friends, we are to shine our lights in all ways and in all places. You know, I like what Adam Barnes says. Albert Barnes says, who's Adam Barnes? Albert Barnes. I was getting Adam Clark and Albert Barnes mixed up. Albert Barnes. He was a theological commentator. You know him, David, don't you? <laughs> he says he knows John Barnes. He played for Liverpool. <laughs> I'm talking about Albert Barnes. He was a commentator. He said this. He says, let your light so shine. Let your holy life, your pure, your, pure convert, your, your pure conversations and your faithful instructions be everywhere seen and known, always in all societies, in all business, at home and abroad, in prosperity and adversity. Let it be seen that you are real Christians. Isn't that powerful? Let it be seen that you are real Christians. Friends, are we the real or are we the fake? I'll tell you what, the people in Northern Ireland can spot a fake a mile off. I know my family, they can spot a fake a mile off. Friends, are we the real or are we the fake? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you know, not only, not only did light and life come to those regions when Christ began his ministry. But I believe joy came as well. I believe joy came as well. Joy filled the whole on. I mean, think about it, brothers and sisters, this morning with me. When Christ comes into a heart, 
When Christ comes into your life, then sorrow and mourning has to go. And then that life is filled with joy. Everywhere Christ went, he brought joy. He brought every life that Christ touched, he brought joy. He brought joy to the wee woman at the well. He brought joy to the wee woman, wee woman who said, Have I but only but touched the hem of his garment? He brought joy to the demon-possessed man. He brought joy to the blind man. And friends, I could go on. But the point is, every life that came in contact with Christ, with Christ, joy filled their hearts. Joy filled their hearts. Isaiah 51 11 says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come again with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain what? They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Isaiah 12 and 3 says, Therefore with joy, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Nehemiah 8 and 10, 10 says, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them when nothing is for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For hear me this morning, friends, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And Jesus said in John 17 and 13, And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. It's Christ's joy. It's not the world's joy. It's not our own joy, but it's Christ's joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You know, friends, this gospel is a gospel of joy. It's a gospel of joy. It's not a gospel of dead, dull, boring religion. Some have made it that. Some have made it that. And it's been a turnoff for many. Would you not agree with me? It's been a turnoff for many. But I believe they've got the wrong end of the stick. They've got the wrong end of the stick. Christ came to bring life. Christ came to bring joy. Christ came to bring hope, and that more abundantly. Not my words, but his words. The scribes and the Pharisees were burdening the people down with all their laws and all their customs. 400 years of darkness, 400 years of death, and they were bringing weariness to the people. Have a look at Matthew 23. Have a look at Matthew 23 at the woes of the Pharisees. But when Christ came, friends, when Christ came, then light and life and joy filled the land. It filled the whole land. Burdens began to lift and joy filled the hearts of many. You know, whenever I first went to Beaver Fellowship, Sammy and Patsy's church, Brian and Isabel was there as well. That was over 33 years ago. I wasn't saved. No interest in God. Nothing, nothing. Didn't didn't know. I was only happy living in my sin, living in my drink and everything else. But when I first went to that wee fellowship, on Beaver Drive, it was a wooden hut. That's what we met in, isn't that right? A wee wooden hut. You know the very first thing that struck me was they had a joy in their hearts and on their faces. <laughs> I'm serious. They had a joy in their hearts and on their faces. It wasn't a put on thing or a, or a, or a super, superficial made up thing. No, but this was something deep, something that was real. It was a joy that I had never seen or experienced before. Friends, I used to get the drink into me and I had a song my head off. But that wasn't joy. Because I woke up the next morning with a sore head and a sore throat. That wasn't joy. 
But they had a joy that I had never seen or experienced before. And you know, these were just ordinary people, just like you and me. Came from the same estate as I lived in. All going through the same problems that we're all going through. Facing the same problems every day. All just working class people. But you know, the joy that they had made a deep impact upon me. It made a deep impact upon me. It was a joy that the world couldn't give and that the world couldn't take away. You know, the joy and the life in that church drew me back week after week after week after week until finally I surrendered my life to Christ. That's the truth. Friends, that's the truth. I'm telling you the truth this morning. What is it to say? If you burn, if your life is on fire for Christ, then many will come to watch you burn. Many will come to watch you burn. Friend, that world out there will not be drawn to dead, cold, hard religion. They'll not be drawn to it, believe me. But friends, they'll be drawn to somewhere or someone who's got life, who's got light, and who's got joy within them. Not a put-on thing. Not a made-up thing. You know, like a clown paints his face and he paints a big happy smile and he does the show and then after the show he wipes it all off and he's a big sad face, full of depression, full of heaviness. And friends, I understand there can be times of sorrow and there can be times of heaviness. We all experience in that. And friends, I'm not talking about walking about with a big Colgate smile, as we used to say. But I'm talking about a joy. I'm talking about a joy that's deep down within us, deep down within our hearts. Not a natural joy, but a spiritual joy. A spiritual joy. A joy that would attract others to the life of Christ within us. That's what we're here for. Nothing else. When you boil it all down, friends, that's what you and I are here for, those that are saved. We're here to attract others to Christ. Brothers and sisters, can you and I say this morning, that we are filled with the light and life and joy of Christ. You may say, well, Stephen, I want to be that light. Stephen, I want to have that light. Stephen, I want to be filled with that joy. But how do I go about getting it? Well, friend, it's letting go and letting God. It's letting go and letting God have his way in your life. It's laying down your life for his life. Your life for his life. It's... Not being afraid of those around us. It's not being afraid of them. Not being afraid of what they think. Not being afraid of what they say. But it's letting the Holy Spirit of God well up. Well up within you and out of you. That's what it's about. I'm trying to simplify this as simply as I can. It's just letting the Spirit of God well up within us. And out of us, not worrying about anybody else. The people that sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the shadow of death, light has sprung up. And I would add to that, joy had filled their hearts. Joy had filled their hearts. Friends, this walk with Christ is not meant to be dead. It's not meant to be dead, cold, hard, religion but it's a walk in love it's a walk with joy and it's a walk in the light of Christ 
It's a walk in the light of Christ. You know, friends, as I come to a close this morning, may we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, be that light and be filled with that joy in the regions of Balnehens and beyond. Wherever beyond takes you to. May we be filled with the joy and the light and the life of Christ. Let me finish you by reading this. F.B. Meyer wrote this. He said, we, we would in thee abide, and thee be glorified, and shine as candles lighted by the Lord. For long the wick of my lamp had served purpose, silently ministering as I read beside it. I felt ashamed that I had not noticed its unobtrusive ministry. I said to the wick, for the service of many months, I thank thee. What have I done for thee? Hast thou not given light upon my page? Indeed, no, I have no light to give. In proof whereof, take me from my bath of oil and see how quickly I expire. Thou wilt soon turn from me as a piece of smoking tow. It is not I that burns, but the oil with which my texture is saturated. It is this that lights thee. I simply mediate between the oil in the cistern and the fire on my edge. This blackened edge slowly decays, but the light continually burns. Dost thou not fear becoming exhausted? See how many inches of coil remain. Wilt thou be able to give light till every inch of this is slowly charred and cut away? I have no fear so long as the supply of oil does not fail. If only some kindly hand will remove from time to time the charred margin, exposing a fresh edge flame. This is my twofold need, oil and trimming. Give me these and I shall burn to the end. Friends, God has called his children to shine his lights in the world. Let us then beware of hiding our light. Whether household candle, street lamp, or lighthouse gleam, lest men stumble to their death. It is a variance with the teaching of the wick to try to accumulate a stock of grace in a sacrament, a convention, or a night of prayer. The wick has no such stores, but is always supplied. You may seem altogether helpless and inadequate, but a living fountain of oil is prepared to furnish you with inexhaustible supplies, not by your might, nor by your power, but by his Spirit, by his Spirit. Hour after hour, the oil climbs up the wick to the flame. You cannot exhaust God. Let us not flinch when the snuffers are used. They only cut away the blackened char. Gabri, he thinks so much of his work. This is God. He thinks so much of his work that he uses his golden snuffers and the hand that holds the snuffers bears the nail prints of Calvary. Let your light, let your light so shine 
before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen. Let's stand, please.